0: Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. Today, I'd like to talk about an issue that's pretty prevalent in our popular culture, which is a question about the government and ethics. Specifically, uh, this issue of ethical oversight and and, uh, offices of ethics, kind of watching politicians and what are the rules and requirements there. But this is especially of interest because not that long ago, about a week and a half or so ago, the new Congress was seriously considering making some significant changes to the Office of Congressional Ethics. Um, Now, this to some people could really seem like a very big deal. They were looking at making some very significant changes that would, in many ways, reduce the power of the Office of Congressional Ethics and the pushback was so severe in terms of people going on Twitter and responding to it, but also calling their representatives and complaining about the issue on both sides of the aisle, both Republicans and Democrats, that um, they decided to um, not make those changes, or at least not make those changes right now. So basically, the Office of Congressional Ethics is a, a kind of independent oversight committee that is supposed to keep an eye on things like conflict of interests, gifts received, and the idea of uh, the possibility that a congressperson might be um, receiving something from another country to kind of weigh their um, policy, or that the they might be getting trips or gifts or something in exchange for uh, the politicians, uh, voting for, or changing their mind about a thing, so on and so forth. So one of the things that it's supposed to be, as it's currently created, is independent of Congress. One of the changes that they were hoping to make would make it so that um, it would actually kind of be under the auspices of Congress. Um, Other changes that they were looking at is what currently the Office of Congressional Ethics will hear and investigate uh, complaints that are made or concerns that are raised, even if they're anonymous. Um as well as the Office of Congressional Ethics has the ability to go to the public with information as well as to law enforcement. So the changes that I're looking at we're making were putting it under Congress. And so Congress would, in essence, be in charge of it. It would be Congress kind of watching Congress. Um, but also anonymous complaints would no longer be taken. Uh, they would not be able to take the information directly to the public or to law enforcement agencies. So what I wanted to talk about was kind of look at, well, what are both sides of this argument? So certainly people had a lot of negative response to this, but in general, there's a lot of interesting discussion right now about ethics and politics because of issues of whether or not, uh, president elect Trump's cabinet picks should have to complete a, a complete vetting process, but also, uh, whether or not, uh, conflicts of interest in the white house in terms of what, uh, Mr. Trump's, uh, business ties to Russia might be, so on and so forth. So there's a couple of interesting things that come out of this. Um, And I'd like to look at both sides of what the argument might be. And although there seem to be uh, a lot of knee-jerk reactions to why the Office of Congressional Ethics shouldn't be changed, there were some reasons why congresspeople had those concerns. Um, Because... the, the 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 idea that a non, anonymous complaints should be taken on one hand makes a lot of sense. It protects the people who bring up a concern. And people might be less likely to bring up a concern if they think there might be some sort of retribution or they might lose their jobs. Uh, people in Congress are very powerful. So it seems like why would they possibly want to get rid of these anonymous complaints? And basically what it comes down to seems to me to be this. The The Office of Congressional Ethics could at least theoretically be used as kind of like a political bludgeon, right? Someone who knows that a particular politician or a particular congressperson hasn't done something, it doesn't really matter. They can go ahead and make the complaint, and they don't have to be answerable to the public or to the government or to Congress for having brought up that concern. So if they know that they're running against someone or they just kind of want to cause someone trouble or they hope that they'll lose in their next election, you bring up this concern and then the investigation itself might become public even before um, the issue has been resolved and the Office of Congressional Ethics says, no, no, there really was nothing there. We had to check, but we've investigated. There's no problem. And basically what it comes down to then is if that information has already gotten out, it kind of doesn't really matter even if the office says that no, it ever actually happened. They've been investigated and that inf- the fact that they've been investigated has gotten out to the public. And there's kind of a, a, a rule about politics, which whilst all press is kind of good press, also no story really ever goes away, no news ever really dies. And so once that theory about that person is out there, that they've done a particular something, even if the Office of Congressional Ethics says that they haven't, um, the bug's in the public's ear. And it really might affect whether or not they get elected again. And some of these, these races are very tight. And so I'm sure that for some of these congresspersons, they feel like, well, if someone is going to say that I've done a thing, they should actually have to answer to it. And we should be able to make sure that they're not someone who has a vested interest in these kinds of harms being done to me. In other words, um, if another politician who's running against them or has a reason for them to lose has brought this information to light, it brings up a question of motive. So that seems to be a fair a fair concern. Um, the, so then the, the issue of whether or not they should be able to bring this information to the public with some immediacy also kind of comes out of that issue of, well, this could, this could be a career killer. Even if, um, even if, if I'm found to have done absolutely nothing, once that information is out there to the public, it's out to the, there to the public. <clears throat> so, well, what's the what's the other side of the argument then? And should we be all that concerned with all of this question of ethics going on in government? And this is a particular interest to me um, uh, in studying ethics, and particularly applied ethics, and how it applies to things like government. Um, are really, really very interesting because one thing, one of the things that we don't really kind of recognize is the fact that even while we're having this discussion, in some ways we're not really talking about ethics. We're really not talking about right and wrong so much as what's legal and not what's not legal. Um, much of the conversation is really about things like, uh, conflicts of interest and, and, um, bribery and, and taking, um, you know, information that you shouldn't be allowed to or something along those lines but these are issues of law and so one thing that we should note just of importance is that the law and ethics are not the same thing we like sometimes to think that they are and we have a tendency to feel like we're ethical if we do follow the law but it's important to note that there have been pretty clear circumstances where the law has when said one thing but the ethical thing is probably something else classic example The fact that slavery was legal here in the United States, and moreover that it was illegal to help escape slaves, and it was illegal to teach slaves to read. Well, all of this seems to suggest that, in fact, that the law was unethical. That's not to say that ethics cannot change. Part of the reason why those laws were implemented in the first place is because there's many people who thought it was ethical, and thankfully public opinion about that has changed over time, and we've come to recognize slavery as, in fact, wrong. And we laud now the people who helped escape slaves, though at the time, many people thought that those who did help escape slaves were doing something not only illegal, but also something unethical. So really, we're talking about something that can get very messy and very, very, very dicey. And when we're talking about something like the Office of Congressional Ethics, it's important to remember that what they're doing is engaging more in in legalities than they are in, in, uh, in questions of ethics, which would be much broader in a lot of ways. But having said that, well, what are the concerns? Well, the concerns are simply this. If we leave the legalities aside and remind ourselves that what we're dealing with is issues of ethics, well, then an immediate problem arises, which is the realization that uh, when someone is in a power position, not only do they have the ability to harm other people, but there's a whole lot of research, there's a whole lot of psychology that kind of demonstrates that when people are in those positions, they often are willing to become less ethical than they were. In fact, they seem to kind of come to believe that human beings in general come to believe that they actually deserve to be in what position they are, Whether sometimes even if it's in a bad position, but they come to deserve that they believe it, that they deserve it. Even if it's random happenstance, this is only made worse if they've been voted in or had to had to win in some sense to get there. But there tends to come with this idea of winning or being in office, this idea that I deserve it, and that makes me somehow better. Um, and the other side of the coin tends to be true: people who are um, who lose out in some way will often come to believe that they must have been some, must have been something about them that deserved this. And so um, for instance, um, in the the text, The Psychology of Prejudice, um, Zana and Olson state the following. People who are victimized by random and unpredictable events often blame themselves for the event, and the converse often Holds true. They're, 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 I'm not quoting them there. But the realization is that people often blame themselves for happenstance events, often negative events. And we also have evidence from other studies that suggest that when people are in power, they come to believe that they have deserved that power, even if they've come to it through insidious means or random means. The classic example of that is uh, the Stanford prison experiments, um, where basically what you do, is, and, and these studies aren't, you're not allowed to do them anymore because they're so problematic. But um, and the, in this study, what you basically do is, is you take a group of people, say college-age students, and you say, okay, well, we're going to run an experiment. You're going to be the prison guards, this half of the class, and we're just doing this randomly, this half of the class, you're going to be prison guards, this half of the class, you're going to be the prisoners. And then you give them both instructions. So, so okay, as the prison guards, here's what you're allowed to do, here's what you're not allowed to do. Um, you're maybe allowed to deny them a certain amount of food, you're not allowed to beat them, so on and so forth. But the goal is to kind of act like the prison guards. You keep them under control and, um, and, and moderate and... Um, keep an eye on them. Prisoners, you know, so your goal is to um, is to basically follow the rules and do what the prison guards tell you so on and so forth. So you take them and you put them in a makeshift prison and everyone knows that the prisoners have not actually done anything to deserve being in prison and you put the prison guards in charge of them and then you watch. And so when they did this, c- conduct this study, it had to end after six days. Things got very bad very quickly. After into about the second day, we start seeing Abuse of the prisoners uh, emotionally and mentally. By the end of the sixth day, prisoners are being abused physically, uh, emotionally, and the the abuses that are being foisted on them are are pretty deeply problematic. From denying them food to um, not uh, letting that not not taking out the buckets that they're using um, for the restroom and forcing them to keep them in their cells to you know not le- letting them sleep. The circumstance got so bad that after only six days, uh, about a third of the prison guards started showing um, sadistic tendencies. And when they decided to stop the experiment, and it was known that they were stopping the experiment because of the mistreatment of the prisoners, a majority of the prison guards reported not wanting to stop the experiment, even though they knew that the prisoners were being abused and that the prisoners did not in fact actually deserve it. And so, and and interestingly, the prisoners also seem to show a certain level of allowing themselves to experience this. And so that I, almost that idea of after only six days, one wonders if people really started to believe that they deserved their circumstance and that the prison guards in some way started to believe that they really were better and that they had a righteous job to do. The prisoners start to believe, well, let's, not get ourselves into any more trouble. And really where it gets interesting is the way the prisoners were willing to kind of help keep other prisoners down. Well, don't cause don't cause problems for us. You know, if we just follow the rules and their willingness to do harm to other prisoners to kind of gain favor and um, to minimize their own own suffering. So this study is very concerning when you think about things like politics and the fact that our politicians have a tremendous amount of power over us and in many ways have oversight over us and have the ability to legislate rules and requirements and punishments for the rest of us. Um, of course, another classic example is, and, and this is is less a, of a scientific study, um, but a really interesting case where um, uh, a teacher takes her third grade classroom and uh, divides it in half so that they'll understand racism and basically divides it over two days, where one day she gives the blue-eyed children better treatment and talks about how they're kind of like innately better because they're blue-eyed and and marginalize and oppress the brown-eyed children. And during that day, the blue-eyed children gladly participate and seem to really kind of come to believe that they are in fact better. And then the next day, you do the same thing but in reverse and have the brown children um, get extra and special treatment and tell, oh, no, actually, really, I think you knew that you were the better ones. And you would think that the result of this would be that um, the brown-eyed children would themselves, you know, oh, I've gone through this horrible, horrible experience. I know what it's like. I would never do that to someone else now that I know what it's like. But they were just as willing to participate in the oppression of the blue-eyed children, if not more so, after they themselves had gone through it. So this all leads to this issue in psychology uh, that they call illusory superiority and the belief that people in fact are superior for some reason, even when they're really not. And so another interesting study that they did was actually through uh, the SAT and the college board. Basically the SAT, uh, the the college board in giving the exam just asked a a series of questions to get a sense of where people felt they were in terms of in relationship to other people and things like leadership um, and uh, their ability to get along well with others. So um, in these questions, for instance, in leadership, 70% of the students put themselves above the average. Um, in uh, issues of being able to get along with others, 85% put themselves beyond uh, above the average. And 25% of students rated themselves in the top 1%. And of course, the comedy of all of this is it's not actually possible that everyone that you have 85% of people are somehow above the average because the average wouldn't be the average. But people believe that they are. Well, I believe I'm better than most people are getting along with other people. And so this seems to be this seems to be a thing. People seem to come to believe that they are, in fact, better sometimes than they actually are, and sometimes they come to believe that they actually deserve their, ne- their negative circumstances as well. So, in other words, one can say to oneself, oh, well, I've become a senator, i become president, I've become a congressperson, because obviously I deserve it. I'm smarter, i worked harder for it, you know, i busted my butt. They didn't. And we, the populace, can end up, well, you know, I didn't really try. I, you know, I'm not as smart as them. And so you end up in a little bit of the Stanford Prison Experiment scenario, where we are deferring to them, and they, in fact, are being treated like they have that power not as servants to us, but because they've earned it, they deserve it, and because they're better. And it's pretty easy in circumstances like that for someone to develop a sense of superiority. Um, This is something that we have to worry about in teaching. As a teacher, I really try to work very hard to remind myself that I actually am in no ways better than my students. Because it's easy to start walking down the hallway and feeling like, well, listen, I'm the teacher, they're the students, they need to get out of my way. Like I have something important to do. That sense of, well, they need to defer to me, they need to show me respect, but I don't necessarily have to reciprocate in the same way. That's deeply problematic if you think about it. My students are not in any way actually lesser than me. We're in different positions in life. They don't know as much about some things as I do. That doesn't mean that I actually deserve more respect than they do. I mean, I like to think that I deserve respect, but so do they the danger starts becoming when one starts to believe that one actually is better and, it, and deserves that superior position because they are better. Well, this seems like something that could easily happen to politicians. And so this is one of the reasons for something like a, a governmental oversight um, uh, that's independent and that we know that we can kind of uh, recognize as being separate from those who themselves are in a dangerous position not just a position of power, but a position where it's kind of easy to be be co-opted by one's own psychology. Um, and so if we look at it like like this, we might kind of think about it in terms of, if I'm a politician, one thing is to feel like, oh, other people are imposing this oversight on me, I don't need it, I'm an ethical person. But maybe the best answer to all of this is, these people in power are actually themselves embracing it in order to maintain the democracy. It does suck to have other people tell you what you're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be watching. you. However, if we, the people, encourage them and they encourage themselves to embrace oversight themselves, that actually might solve a lot of the problem. In other words, Part of the reason why some of these studies have come up is because people are trying to figure out like why politicians do things or why things happen in like Nazi Germany, like that's the Stanford Prison Experiment, right, or the Milgram experiments. Like why are people willing to do certain things? Well, some of these studies come out because people wonder why politicians are willing to break rules that they themselves help make, and what one comes to realize is like, wow, this is weird. Like you have this politician who only seems to feel bad once she or he has been caught and like, oh, I'm so sorry that I embezzled Or I'm so sorry that I cheated on my spouse or I'm so sorry I did X, Y, or Z. And the realization becomes, well, either one of two things. a) they're not actually sorry. And they're just making that up. Or they actually now are sorry now that they've been caught. And then there is some research that su- su- seems to suggest that, that we do actually feel bad about things, but we're more likely to feel bad about them when we've been caught. But we actually do feel chagrined. It's kind of that, oh, you know, I'm downloading illegal media or something like, oh, I'm downloading illegal movies, blah blah blah, you know, music illegally, whatever. Um, but then I, I get caught and I get that letter from my cable provider saying, no, you you actually have to pay for movies. You can't you can't just download them. And then we're like, oh, I feel kind of bad and embarrassed. And that seems to be kind of part of being a human being for many people. That once what we've done is out there and it's like once our mothers are reading our text messages and then we're like, oh wow, this is actually really embarrassing. I, I actually feel pretty bad. And we see the impact of what we've done on other people. In other words, what we're talking about is transparency. That transparency seems to help. And that the more we're being watched in some sense, the more likely we are to follow the rules. And that, that can be kind of scary too, but that not that the response that our own politicians have given us when we've complained about the fact that we don't have as much privacy? Right. So like the Patriot Act passes or they're they're reading what's happening on our cell phones. Right. Like all of our phone conversations are, are being being watched in order to help protect us from terrorists. And we go, well, wait a minute. Don't we have a right to privacy? And they say, well, listen, why are you worried about it? If you're not doing un- anything unethical, why would you worry if the government's listening in on your phone? Well, I'm not going to worry about today about the rightness or wrongness of that. But we can say the same exact thing. If you're worried about the Office of Congressional Ethics, don't be unethical. Now, as I pointed out earlier, that's not to say that the Office of Congressional Ethics can't do harm or be misused. But part of the key to the circumstance is if we if we're going to tell our public that well, if they don't want to get in trouble, just don't do anything wrong, then that seems like it's only fair to say the same to our politicians. Well, you're saying that we can be listened to because if we're not doing anything wrong, there's no problem. So then maybe they should similarly be be willing to be listened to. I mean, where it's not an issue of national security, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, it's kind of that realization. Take that, again, that politician who has the affair. That seems to be like a common trope. People seem to be less likely to do naughty things if they know that they're being watched. It's and and one it's one thing for your spouse to say to you, okay, listen, I want access to your Facebook and to your email and to your cell phone, and I'm gonna check, and that sucks. And maybe that's how some Congress people are feeling, like we're saying to them, well, we want all of this access. But the other side of the coin is, is you can be the person if you know that you're at risk of engaging a certain kind of behavior, you can be the one who goes to your spouse and says, you know what, I want to be honest and. True to you given given the way that we have arranged our relationship, and I'm honestly a little concerned that I might do something stupid, so here's my Facebook password. Use it if you want, but if I know that it's there, I feel uh, like I'm less likely to do something dumb in a weak moment, and there's some criticisms that can be thrown either which way in regards to making that kind of argument, but it does seem to certainly work to some degree when it comes to things like politics. In other words, The politicians are in a position where they could become very dangerous given their power, but also we have a lot of studies that show that that power does actually tend to go to one's head and one does come to believe that they deserve it. And one, at least one third of people who end up in these random power positions, when it's random, not when they've even been voted in, end up with like sadistic tendencies. So if I'm a politician, I'm acting to myself, my goodness, maybe I really do need to give the public my Facebook password to a certain degree. It's kind of like being Superman. You realize that you have so much power that, in fact, it's actually in the best interest of the people you serve to give Batman some kryptonite and say, hey, listen, just in case. And interestingly, there's one other thing that thinking like that might actually do to benefit society as a whole. Um, In Psychology Today, uh, they state the, the following. In a review of five recent studies on entitlement, Paul Riff points out an interesting finding that both narcissism and entitlement can be decreased, decreased when admired leaders model a more respectful stance towards others. In other words, our own feeling that we're somehow special and better than other people and like being stuck in our own heads is reduced when the people that we admire and our leaders are being respectful and thoughtful. So if I want my own students to be less Egomaniacal and less likely to be the kinds of people who deserve, who believe that they deserve special positions and it's okay to, you know, start torturing their prisoners. Well, then I need to model that same behavior and not act like I'm better than them. So our politicians are in an unusual position whereby acting respectful and thoughtful, and even though they have that power, not misusing that power and being willing to, to be watched by us and being willing to engage in transparency with us are also modeling for us. They're being teachers for us and helping reduce the chances that we'll engage in those specific kinds of behaviors that pretty much everyone in society recognizes as problematic. This is a special position and one that they could take with great seriousness. So with that, I hope you have a wonderful week.